So, for those of you that haven't been here the last uh, couple sessions, we've been talking a lot about parenting, and today we're going to address an issue that probably is the area of greatest concern, greatest difficulty, greatest uncertainty in parenting, and that is the issue of discipline. But I also want to broaden this and make sure you know, if you're not a parent, um, this is still relevant, because what we're going to talk about this morning is really God's discipline of us. It's a great reminder to all of us that all of you and me are under the constant care, love, and discipline of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at this morning is what that discipline looks like, and along the way, we will make some application to parenting. Um, And again, we're going to take the same approach that we've taken throughout the weekend, which is I'm not going to tell you how to parent. I'm not an expert at parenting, but what I want to do is to walk through Scripture and look at the truth of Scripture and then make some application to print, uh, to parenting. I almost said printing. We're not here to talk about printing. (laughs) Parenting. Um, Make some application to parenting because if we have our theology straight, if we know what the Bible says, if we understand God's perspective on an issue, it will drive your day-to-day decision-making. It will make the day-to-day parenting issues that you're wrestling with um, a little bit easier um, um, to deal with. And, and I want to encourage you, you're going to get clear and actionable answers from Scripture today on how do I discipline my children? What should that look like? What is the process of discipline? When does it start? When does it end? What should it look like? How, what should I tell my children about the process? What should be happening in my home as a result of discipline Am I being too permissive? Am I being too strict? A lot of those answers are going to come from the truth of Scripture today. Scripture is clear. And my prayer is that I'm not going to um, confuse that clarity. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will teach each of us and make clear to each of us the meaning of, of His Word. So, <clears throat> let me start with this. First of all, effective discipline comes from relationship. If you're taking notes, you probably want to write that down. Because that's kind of the theme. That, that statement is a summary of the biblical um, discourse on discipline that is based in relationship. And relationship in the Bible is often talked about in the context of discipleship. Discipleship. So a biblical relationship is based on discipleship. Therefore, discipline being based in relationship is also based in discipleship. Discipline without relationship is often misunderstood. This is why we first look at our relationship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his discipline in our life. It is based on our relationship with Christ. It is the same way um, with your children. And discipline outside of the context of a deep relationship is actually unbiblical. Therefore, we're going to spend some time understanding discipleship in the context of parenting here just for a minute. Now, I just want to read a couple verses from Deuteronomy 6. If you've been here, you've heard us talk about Deuteronomy 6. I just want to read verses 5 through 9 and make some observation. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And by the way, this passage has five shalls in it. This is not an optional passage. This is what we shall do. You shall love the Lord your God. That is talking about the fear of the Lord, what we were talking about earlier this weekend. 
Verse 6, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. That's the second shall. And in the discipleship process, in the discipline process, it starts with you, parents. And by the way, also you, grandparents. In the first part of Deuteronomy 6, it talks about parents and grandparents teaching the next generation. It starts with you. You shall love the Lord, and these words that we're about to read shall be on your heart and my heart first. And then verse 7 says, You shall then teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it starts with you. It should be, you should love the Lord. These commandments should be written on your heart. And from there, then you should turn around and be actively involved in the process of discipleship. And it talks about teaching in verse 7. Teach. And how do you do that? Well, it, dis- it, it describes it in the rest of that passage. It says to talk. You should be talking about these things. And some of you have asked good questions after each of the sessions, and one of the things, the theme of my answer to your question is, you should be talking with your children about the things we've talked about this weekend. You should be talking to your children and your grandchildren about the discipline of the Lord, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. And it speaks of a diligence, and it talks about training being done by life-on-life discipleship. You heard me read it. You're familiar with the passage. You teach these things when you... You talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. There is no part of life that isn't open um, to someone being a learner. And that's what a disciple is. And your children are disciples. And there is nobody on this earth who has as much access to when you sit down, when you stand up, when you lie down, and when you get up than your kids do. That is the most intimate close discipleship relationship you will ever be in outside of marriage. And the training and the results of that training, the observation of your life should be evident to people who look in on your family. That's discipleship. That's a quick summary. That's kind of a review of some of what we've talked about up until um, this point this weekend. And now we want to talk about an aspect of discipline. I'm sorry, of discipleship, which is discipline. Discipleship is teaching, it's training. And Hebrews 12, 11 says um, that those, it says that um, the purpose of discipline is training, those who are trained by discipline. So if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. It is a passage that I want to read to you here, and you will hear the word discipline nine times. And I think you will be convinced when I'm done reading this passage that this is the passage in Scripture that talks about discipline. This is God's economy. We've talked about this this weekend. We've talked about the role of men, um, the unique role of men to be providers, leaders, protectors. That speaks to God's design for his economy, his earth, his creation. That's man's role Um, uniquely, not exclusively, that's not the only role of a man, but that is what makes a man different from a woman. And we've learned that women were created by God to be a wife, a mom, and a worker at home. Not exclusively, but uniquely. That's what makes a woman different from a man. It's God's economy. And in God's economy, in God's design, 
He disciplines. He disciplines nations. You can read that throughout scripture. He disciplines churches. You can read that in Revelation, for example, the seven churches. He disciplines people. And the reality is he disciplines me and he disciplines you. And Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how that works and what that looks like. And from Hebrews 12, there is a a great um, series of answers to the questions of um, how should we discipline. Let me read to you starting in verse 4. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the, la- the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That is a packed passage. And in the next half hour or so, I'm going to do my best to unpack it. And what I want to give you is eight elements of biblical discipline. Um, eight elements of biblical discipline. These are the elements of God's discipline of us that we need to implement in our homes. It needs to be a part of our discipline process in the framework in which discipline happens in our home. So let's work through these. I'm going to give you eight, and I do mean eight. For those of you who are here this weekend, you know I get confused between six and eight. Number one, discipline is positive. Discipline is positive. We tend to think of discipline in negative terms, and there's reasons for that, but the but on the broad, in its broadest basis, biblical discipline is positive in every sense of that word. It's purposeful, it's positive, and biblical discipline is good. And, and why do we start with that? Well, in verse 3 um, of Hebrews 12, it says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners, that's Christ, against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then he begins to talk about the discipline process, a process that many of us identify with growing weary and losing heart. And it's exactly the opposite of that. Verse 12 says, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And there's much more that we could say from this passage, and I will say as we go along, but I wanted to start off and say that the discipline process is positive. We, when we discipline our children, we need to remind them of that. That this process is designed for their good and God's glory. And if that's the purpose of discipline, then it is a positive process. And you can remind them, if you need to, I don't think you will, that it won't be fun. But it is good. And 
number two. Discipline is uh, positive. Second, discipline, biblical discipline is intimate. It's based on intimate relationships. I read to you verses five through nine, and I don't know if you picked up on something, but there's nine references to the familial relationship. It says, um, it's addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Verse six, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son um, verse 7, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The family relationship and love. Verse 8, it talks about illegitimate children and sons if you're not a part of the discipline process. Verse 9 talks about the father of spirits. There's nine references to family. Biblical discipline is a function of love, relationship, concern, compassion, and especially family. Relationship is less important when the children are young because they're your children. They don't know, but as your children get older, it's almost everything. If there is no relationship, discipline will not be effective. One of the marks of biblical discipline is an intimacy that comes from relationship. And all of the references to father, son, throughout this passage are not rank. It's relationship. It's not, I'm gonna discipline you because I am your father and you must do what I say. It's, it's relationship-based. I'm disciplining you because I'm your father and I love you. So it, it is intimate. And I wanna show you something from Proverbs. If you would, turn back to Proverbs 1 and I'm gonna cover seven chapters of Proverbs. I promise in about five minutes, okay? I just want to show you something out of Proverbs, and I think that this, this kind of marries the concept of discipleship and discipline as we look at the, the discipleship of a father. And I want to show you something that might draw you to Proverbs with your children. I want to show you something, the familial relationship, starting in verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 8, hear my son, my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15, there it is again. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom Incline your ear to understanding. We've talked about teaching the fear of God and wisdom and obedience. There it is in Proverbs, my son. Chapter three, verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart, let your heart keep my commandments. That's what we were talking about earlier this weekend, that you're not teaching pharisaical obedience, you're going for the heart. Verse 11 of chapter three, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Great reminder, my son, I'm disciplining you, but it's the discipline of the Lord. Verse 21 of chapter three. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Chapter four, verse one. You now know what I'm pointing you to. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. 
When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. It's that familial relationship. Verse 10 of chapter 4, hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. Verse 20 of chapter 4. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Are you, under, are you getting it? My son, my son, my son. Verse 7 of chapter 5 is incredible. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. And in this This begins, and this is in a passage dealing with a father's teaching of his sons on love, sex, and immorality. We used to read Proverbs every day to our kids. Today's the 23rd. We would be reading Proverbs 23 as a family. And I always kind of got nervous on the fifth of the month with three daughters. This is a graphic chapter, but it is a father teaching his sons part of the discipleship process. Verse 20 of chapter 5, for why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? He's talking to his son. That's discipleship. Chapter 6, verse 1, my son, if you've become a surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger. Verse 20, my son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. And, and we skipped verse 6. For those of you who weren't here, we talked about this earlier. Chapter 6, verse 6, it doesn't say, my son. What does it say? Oh, sluggard. And Hopefully all of you didn't go home yesterday and call your son a sluggard because it's in the Bible. You can, but be careful. Chapter 7, verse 1, my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. And this, again, is another difficult chapter to read to three daughters because this is a father teaching his sons the way of a prostitute, and they observe it together. What's the point of all of that? Discipline is in the context of a deep, close relationship between mom and dad and the child. And that relationship is so close that you can talk with them about the issues of life. Your relationship should be such that you can talk about all these issues. You must tell your children to heed your advice. That's all the way through what I just read you. An example of a father requiring his sons to hear him and obey him. And discipline is appropriate when they do not do that. You heard me read out of that review of Proverbs um, that discipline is part of that relationship. All right, that's number two. Discipline is positive. Discipline is intimate. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and keep working through this. The third one is is that discipline is serious. Discipline is serious. What we're talking about this morning is serious business. Biblical discipline is not emotional or random. It is a serious process. It's designed to deal with serious issues, sin. And it produces serious results, by the way. Righteousness and peace. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 4 of Hebrews 12 says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, 
Here it is, verse five. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Mom, dad, you should be teaching your children that the discipline process is serious business. They should not regard it lightly. You should not regard it lightly. They should not regard it lightly. And I love it says you have forgotten how easy it is for us to forget. Children forget quickly and easily. Sound punishment helps them remember it, doesn't it? It does. It's not to be taken lightly by a parent or child. You've been chosen by God to be in the role that you're in with the children that God has given you. We need to take that seriously. You should talk about the importance and the gravity of discipline. Maybe not with your two-year-old. Obviously, this is age-appropriate discussion. If you, for example, cannot articulate the sin that is being addressed, you're not ready to enter into the discipline process. If your child cannot articulate for you the sin issue, then they are a long way from repentance. Confession is part of the discipline process, and we'll talk about that in a minute. If you can't articulate the sin, your child can't articulate the sin, it's time to step back because it's not a biblical discipline process if you're not dealing with a sin issue. Dealing with your children because they annoy you, disciplining your children because they're an inconvenience is not biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is serious business because that process is addressing sin, not preference, not politics, nothing else but sin. Number four, biblical discipline is painful. You've heard the saying, no pain, no gain. In a culture that says pain is bad, the Bible says pain is good. Pain in the context of discipline is good. It's not fun, it's not enjoyable. I don't, that's not what I mean by good, but it is necessary, it's biblical, and it's a necessary element of discipleship and discipline. And it is an element of our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse five says, don't faint when you're reproved by him. I don't know how many of you can relate to that statement. Verse six, he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 11 all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Amen? That's discipline. Discipline is not pleasant. The words reproved, faint, scourged, sorrowful, not joyful, paints a picture that biblical discipline is painful at times. Scourge, it, it says, uh, um, he scourges every son whom he receives, or he Loves That word scourge means plague, blight, curse. That's an amazing, a thorn in the side. That's an amazing series of statements to define a word that Christ uses to define his great love for his children whom he disciplines. Verse 12 says, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. In verse 13 it says, um, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint. And you say, what does that have to do with pain? Well, let me tell you a story to illustrate this. I have a twin sister, and she has a son. And we figured out, they figured out at an early age, my nephew, James, was an amazing athlete. And so he got into junior high, and he started playing football, and he played quarterback, and he had a phenomenal season, but throughout that entire season, he never got to score a touchdown. 
So the coach called his parents and said, I just want you to know we're coming down to the last game of the season. It looks like it's going to be an easy game. I want you to know I'm going to give you a signal. I want you to come down to the sidelines. I'm calling his number. I'm going to let James score a touchdown. Instead of throwing the ball, handing it off, whatever else he did, we're going to call an end around, and we're going to let James score a touchdown. His first touchdown of the season. So we got the signal. Of course, my sister calls all the family, all the aunts and uncles, grandparents. And at the appointed time, we all go down to the sideline. And we're on the goal line. And I think the coach on purpose called the play so that James would run around the end and right in front of all of us, um, 10 feet away from us, James scored a touchdown. What a great moment for about a half a second. By the way, nobody touched him. He ran around, ended up in the end zone, and all of a sudden heard a snap. And down he went. And the next thing we heard was screaming. James had broken both, la- both bones in his lower leg, completely severed. So they called the ambulance and they cart him off. What was going to be a great family dinner, <laughs> pizza, to celebrate James's touchdown, moved to the emergency room. And they took x-rays and they found out that there was a complete severing of both bones. So they needed to set those bones. And so the doctor came in and began to manipulate the leg, and James went nuts. You can imagine. So my sister threw herself down on the bed and said, Doctor, stop hurting my son. Let me take him home. I'm not going to let you hurt him. You think that's what she did? Silly, isn't it? Of course that's not what she did. She sat there while the doctor first took the first bone and slid those bones together. And then slid the next bones together. And then took pictures. It hurts to hear this, doesn't it? I'm doing this on purpose. It was awful. We were in the waiting room and we could hear James. It was awful. They took a picture and realized, we're not there yet. Slide them back. Slide them back. Take another picture. Well, one bone looks good. Now we need to fix the other bone. Slide it back. The doctor needed to get a perfect match. Some orthopedic surgeon here will correct me afterwards, and I'm probably saying this wrong, but here's an accountant's version of it. The bones needed to be put perfectly back in place so that when they fused, James could walk again. An extraordinary process. Took hours. Several processes of, I think we're done, but we got to take a picture, and then coming back saying, we're not done yet. James was in the hospital, they send him home, and then they say, you need to come back in two days, and there's a good possibility we might have to break those bones again. Why? Because once those bones start healing, if there's any slippage, we've got to go, go slide them back together again. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, the discipline of strengthening, strengthening the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, the limb which is lame might not be put out of joint. This sounds really Sunday school nice. This is talking about extraordinary pain. I can't imagine being that doctor, can you? Taking this little kid and causing probably more pain than he will ever experience in the rest of his life right there. But God bless that doctor. The doctor did what he had to do and many parents would not... I don't know of a single parent that would throw themselves across the bed and say, just give us Advil and send us home. I'm not going to let you hurt my baby. But some of us parent that way. 
Some of us um, want to shield our children from the discipline process. We want to shield them from the consequences of a breakage, of a broken limb. We want to treat a broken bone with Advil, don't we? I mean, honestly, honestly, don't we? We don't like pain. We don't like watching our children go through pain. And the application of all of this is we can't avoid this element of biblical discipleship. We cannot avoid discipline. You cannot stand between your child and the discipline process because what you will have, had my sister done that, um, my nephew, if he was alive today, would be in a wheelchair and the lower half of his leg just dangling, right? That wouldn't have been right. And that's a picture, it's a graphic picture of what ignoring sin does. Ignoring sin is not a virtue. Ignoring sin is not grace. Grace is recognition of the sin. Okay? Protecting or shielding our children from consequences stunts growth. And it's the equivalent of, please remember this, it's the equivalent of healing broken bones with Advil. It doesn't work. You can hide the pain, you can shield the pain, but the bone is still broken. All right, so biblical discipline is positive, it's intimate, it's serious, it's painful. Number five, it's expected. It's expected. Discipline in a family setting is, is as normal as anything else. It should be this way in your home. Your children should expect it, and they'll never admit it. And some of you young people can uh, tackle me afterwards for saying this, but children even want it. There is in every human being an understanding that discipline is an expected part of life, and it is the culture of a loving family. It's the tool, um, it, it is also a tool when describing behavior. Because it's expected, and Hebrews talks about it like it is a normal part of life, and it is. Using that, um, that fact helps you explain to your children that you know, whether you're disciplined or not is up to you. You behave this way, you know what's going to happen. It's called discipline. And if they behave that way, they made that choice. But your job as parents is to follow through. Verse 7 of Hebrews 12 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as you do with your sons, basically. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Discipline is a fact of life. It's a, it's a fact of life, by the way, from two sources, from our heavenly father and from our earthly fathers. It's a confirmation and a proof of salvation. And this is a great conversation to have with your children that you, as a parent, are under the discipline of the Lord because the Lord loves you. And therefore, as a father, I discipline you. It is an evidence of love. It's right there in Hebrews. It's a confirmation and a proof of love. You know, Proverbs 1.20, you can write this down. Go back and look at this later. There's a contrast in that passage from Proverbs 1, verse 20, to the end of Proverbs, and just a great passage of Scripture. The contrast of a fool and a wise person. The fool avoids, rejects, and stays away from correction, reproof, discipline, and pain. The wise man, it says in Proverbs 1, asks for it, looks for it, wants it, expects it. That is the driving difference between a fool and a wise man. 
And this takes us back to the, what we talked about Friday night, that his parents were called to teach the fear of God, which leads to the wisdom of God and obedience. And a wise young man or a wise young woman understands the benefit, the expectation of discipline, and they not only expect it, they want it because they understand that it produces good. They understand that it's positive. They understand that it's intimate, that it's serious, and yes, sometimes painful, but it's an expected part of life. So if it's expected, one of the applications to your parenting is that you probably want to be very consistent. Discipline should be expected in your home. It should be a consistent reaction to sin in your home. Your, sh- your children should know that you are also subject to discipline. You should talk about it, and you should explain to them the dynamic that is in your home is also in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. It's expected. The discipline process should not paralyze your home. It's expected because it's a normal part of life, and like any other normal part of life, it doesn't paralyze your family. It doesn't stop your family. It doesn't freeze the whole thing. Okay? Number six. Number six. Biblical discipline is respectful. Biblical discipline communicates respect for the child. It also produces respect in the child. Verse nine of Hebrews 12 says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? We respect our earthly fathers and we respect our heavenly Father. The purpose of discipline is not respect. Okay? Some people think that um, they're, they're reaching for the respect of their child. That is not the purpose of discipline. You won't find that in, in Hebrews 12 or anywhere else. The purpose of discipline is training and correction and bringing them to where hopefully you see repentance. What Hebrews 12 is saying is that faithful biblical discipline will produce, in the end, respect in your children at some point. Children with no boundaries and no discipline, and I think this will make sense to you to illustrate this point, children with no boundaries and no discipline tend to have no respect, right? That's the... um, Uh, reverse of what Hebrews 12 is saying, which is faithful biblical discipline produces respect. Number seven, biblical discipline is brief. It's brief. And we'll see this in verse 10. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Biblical discipline is brief. You have a very short few years, parents, to have maximum impact on your children. Within that time frame, extended and prolonged periods of tension and conflict are not biblical. Grounded for a month, for example, is probably not, in most cases, biblical discipline. The cold shoulder or the silent treatment is not biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is interactive, it's intense, it's short, it's brief, it's purposeful, but once that purpose has been achieved, it is over. And what is the purpose of that discipline? It's for training, it's for correction. It's to identify sin, to produce consequences, and and to engender forgiveness. 
You, the purpose of discipline, the brevity of discipline is not only in the years that you have, but in the moment that you have to address a sin issue, you are looking for a confession of sin. You are looking to forgive that, that breach, to administer consequences, and then to restore the relationship between mom and dad and the child. And that is a picture of our relationship with Christ. Right? It shouldn't be a long process. The consequences might be a little bit longer than the moment. Um, I told a story at the, um, with, sitting with the elders last night of a consequence for one of our daughters who back in the day when they used to charge per text sent hundreds of texts. Cost a lot of money. The consequence of that went for a long time. She had to pay for all of that. But the relationship was not breached for the entire period of time, months, until she paid all of that back. The relationship was breached almost instantly. I mean, restored almost instantly. There was confession. There was forgiveness. There was indication of repentance. I want to do what I need to do to make it right. Relationship restored. Very brief. Discipline should be for a moment. Exasperation of our children come from hesitancy regarding forgiveness. Am I really forgive, forgiven by mom and dad? Anger comes from unending, drawn-out punishment. And if anywhere in the discipline process you can't remember what are we here for, <laughs> I forget, what's the issue we're dealing with here? Your process probably has gone on too long. Okay? Should be brief. Your child should know the process has a beginning and an end. The other issue with brevity is spanking children. We, you know, if you start right and you do it right, you follow the pattern of biblical discipline. Spanking probably is done somewhere around four, five, six years old, which is a real bummer because spanking is a luxury. Sorry, kids. Spanking is the ability to administer consequences in a very physical way to get to the point of restoration a whole lot faster. And those of you who parent teens know you yearn for the day when you could just spank them and get there. It's a gift from the Lord. But that process is probably done by four, five, six years old, somewhere in there. You don't throw the, what we called it, the whacker. You don't throw it away because there's going to be days when you need it along the way. But that period of intense physical discipline is brief just like the period of addressing a sin issue is brief and just like the time you have to disciple and train your children in the discipline um, process is very brief we look at all of your precious young kids um, we really miss our grandchildren and we also think wow it was the day before yesterday our kids were that old it's a precious time it's a great time and there is a purposefulness to um, your, the discipline of your children because the time is short. And that is biblical. So biblical discipline is positive, it's intimate, it's serious, it's painful, it's expected, it's respectful, it's brief. And lastly, it's effective. And I want to end on this because I want to encourage your souls from the word of God. Be encouraged. Biblical discipline produces results every single time. By that I mean every child. The hard truth is that your if your discipline is not producing changed behavior, 
If it's not producing the fruits of repentance, it probably, somewhere in there, it's not biblical. And it's time to go back and look through Hebrews chapter 12, study it, look at the elements that we're talking about and figure out which one of these elements is missing and maybe it's the relationship, maybe it's the intimacy. But here's some of the results. Let me just review this really quickly. Verse seven. It is for discipline that you endure. Discipline produces endurance. Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? This goes back to what we talked about Friday night, the blessing of living according to God's economy, to God's rules, teaching your children to fear God, live a wise life in obedience to the authority over them. That is a blessed life. A discipline-free life is a godless life, and a godless life is death. The wages of sin is death. Verse 10, a couple more um, results of discipline. He disciplines us for our good so that, he may share, so that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, we're trained by it. Verse 11, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Biblical discipline produces holiness, peace, righteousness. Verse 13, healing and strength. And I can't imagine any of you wouldn't say that what you would like to have in your home is a whole lot of holiness, a whole lot of endurance, life, peace. Boy, that one gets parents of teenagers. Peace in your home, righteousness, healing, and strength. That list of what um, biblical discipline produces is the same list. I think if you sat down and said, This is what I want my home to look like, that's what you would say. These results should be expected from biblical discipline. They should be evident. And if they're not, and they won't always be because we are imperfect, that is the time to go back and evaluate and reevaluate what are we doing, how are we doing it. Has our discipline slipped out of a biblical pattern and into a pattern of our convenience? Or are we ignoring sin? Or are we treating broken bones with Advil? Go back through and evaluate your parenting, your discipline, because at the end of the process, you will see biblical discipline produces holiness, righteousness, peace, life, healing, and strength, and endurance in your children. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the clarity of your word might not have been confused this morning. Lord, we need you desperately to make application of all of this to our life. Lord, teach each of us in our hearts the implications of the truth of biblical discipline in our own homes. And especially as we look at our own homes, between the children that you've given us, not every child is the same. And that the discipline process with one might look different for the other, but Lord, we understand that it all needs to be in accordance with your design for discipline. Lord, teach us, convict us, and Lord, especially encourage us. Encourage the folks here this morning who are in the heat of this battle. Encourage their hearts that the truth of Scripture can provide the pathway to a peaceful home, a loving relationship, a discipleship relationship with children, that also includes discipline, but produces just wonderful things to your praise and glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.